Pew Bibles, uh, it's on page 1239, Ephesians 1, 1-10. I'll probably read through 14, but uh, Paul gives a greeting in 1-3, through 3, and I'm going to jump over that for time's sake because we've got a lot to cover today. I'll begin reading in verse, uh, well, I'll begin reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. I'm going to continue on through uh, 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless your word going forth. No one's here to hear opinions of man. No one's here to hear wisdom of man. We're here to hear from you. And we pray that your word would speak, Lord, that you would be glorified. Send forth your word in power. And may it not return unto you void, but accomplish all you set forth to do with it and prosper in the thing that you send it forth to do in us. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Just so you know, uh, I noticed there's a bunch of buttons up here with pew numbers and seat numbers. So if you fall asleep, if I push that button there, uh, <laughs> the, the pews are wired and you will uh, we'll know that I got your number. I want, I want to use an illustration, it is humorous, but it makes a point. Uh, I heard this a long time ago about a Sunday school teacher who uh, uh, was covering different uh, scriptural truths with her class, and then she was talking about the God of creation. And so to make a point about how God created the birds and the animals and all, she said, uh, class, she said, uh, what sits on a tree limb and eats acorns and has a bushy tail? Well, nobody answered, and she said, really? And finally she looked at Johnny, you know, it's always Johnny, but she looked at Johnny and said, Johnny, what is it? He said, well, I know the right answer is Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> that makes a point for us adults as well. We get caught in a similar trap when we have, what we have been taught or what we think we're supposed to say collides with what we think we know. In other words, when doctrine clashes with experience or background or ingrained beliefs, we must search the Bible to see what is really true. 
Uh, I give you a heads up. Now, we're going to go through a lot of scripture, and we're going to go very fast, so please do use your sermon note page. Uh, I'm not saying that because I'm standing here. I'm saying it because the Word of God is important, and it's important, too, because some of these, some of you will go, yes, know that, got it. And some of you will go, what? I've never heard this in my life. So uh, please be attentive and, and make notes if you will. It will be a very, very light overview through the Reformed faith, summarized by the acronym TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, which was coined by John Calvin and ratified by the Reformed Church. TULIP is also referred to as the five doctrines of faith. You know, I, I hesitate sometimes to use the word doctrines because when a minister says the word either theology or doctrine, the pew's empty and the exits get filled. So let me just, let me just throw this out. Doctrine is defined as a principle or position which is taught. In other words, the ABCs and the multiplication table are doctrine. That's doctrine. Uh, you may not have thought about it that way. And theology means the study of divine things, so how could that be bad? So we're going to mix the two a little bit this morning, but I want to also give you a little bit of my background. Some of you don't realize I'm not the pastor here if you're just visiting. Uh, we have a wonderful pastor, and, and he's on vacation. So, But my background is rather odd to be standing where I'm standing right now. Uh, the first half of my life, I was a Southern Baptist. Uh, I was a deacon, a chairman of the deacons, opening assembly director, choir member, teacher morning and night, an unofficial youth director, and chief cook and bottle washer eventually. But the only difference that I knew between Baptist and Methodist and Presbyterians is that Methodists were Baptists who spoke to each other at the liquor store. <laughs> <coughs> And Presbyterians were Methodists whose business deals worked out favorably. Now, that's all I knew about the different denominations. I could be wrong. And in a divine blur of providence, God called me into the ministry, gave me a Presbyterian church to pastor, and converted me to the Reformed faith in that order. So everything was a little backwards. So here's what I'm saying. If you're new to the Reformed faith... I am your man. Let's begin with the T and TULIP. And by the way, keep your pen handy. T stands for total depravity of man. In Psalm 51 verse 5, David wrote these words. Behold, I was brought forth, means I was born, in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me? Now, David is not putting his mother down. He's not making disparaging remarks about his mother. He's making a clear remark about sin. I was born in sin. Romans 3, 11 and 12. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart being the center of the a person, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. I have a real problem with the Hallmark Channel when they say, just trust your heart. And I think, no, please don't. <laughs> Multitudes of other scripture verses emphasize this one truth, that in Adam's fall, all, all humanity, apart from Jesus Christ, are born sinners. 
We are separated from holy God who will not look upon sin. We are born in total depravity. We are not sin sick. We are not basically good with a few faults. No. We are unrighteous. We are unholy. We are decadent and dead in the flesh with no way within ourselves to seek God, appease God, serve God or know God, and no desire to change our sinful hearts. Man is born in total depravity. That one was fairly easy. Some of the others will be worse. The U stands for unearned or unconditional election. Unearned or unconditional election. If you have your Bible still open at Ephesians chapter 1, listen to verses 1, uh, 3 through chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to emphasize certain words, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, key verse. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God in eternity past, before the foundation of the earth was set, before sky, sea, land, or man, chose specific people to be his own and set his choice in motion based not on good deeds, genealogy, intellect, race, color, or nationality, based on grace alone. That act of God of grace is called election, election. Paul quoted Isaiah who quoted God in Romans 10, 20. And this is a great verse to, to refer to. I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Act of God. All in Christ are God's elect. Now, sometimes... When people hear election, some are confused by another word in another place in Scripture more than once, the word foreknew or foreknowledge, such as, and I'll give you an example, Romans 8.29. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Here's what that didn't say. God did not elect or predestinate anyone because of his foreknowledge of their future decisions. Now, only omnipotent, holy, all-knowing, all-present God does know everything. He knows the future from the past. There is no time with God. Everything's the now. But in that statement... It needs to be clarified that, of course, God foreknew us. How else would God call us? You don't make random phone calls to people you don't know, and neither does God. God knew us, yes, but not based on anything we would or would not do in the future. God chose us. At that point in the future, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We had no good works. We had no ability to make decisions for God. In fact, we really didn't want God in our lives. 
The Good News translation reads it this way. Those whom God had already chosen, he also set apart to become like his son so that the son would be the first among many believers. We were dead in trespasses and sins when God foreordained our salvation through Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. We were dead in trespasses and sins when God foreordained our salvation through Jesus Christ. Dead people cannot commit righteous actions on their own. They have first to be made alive by God. So God animates our hearts. God calls. God convicts. God equips for repentance. Or man is lost in his or her own sins. Those who God calls to himself through his holy word, activated by God the Holy Spirit and washed by the atoning blood of Jesus, are the elect adopted of God. That is unearned or unconditional election. The L. This one seems to cause concern with the use of the word limited, and I'm going to explain that. L stands for limited atonement. Limited atonement. That automatically, when you, when you see that, it's like, whoa, 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 I don't, I don't even like the sound of that. Limited atonement? I'm going to clarify. How many advertisements have you read or seen on TV that end with the words, supplies are limited? Of course they're limited. You can make 500 million Frisbees, and supplies are limited to 500 million Frisbees. Everything you see in life is limited. Limited atonement means this. Not everyone will be saved by the cross of Christ. It dismisses universalism and merges free will with election. Souls spending eternity in hell rejected Jesus Christ as Lord, chose to be Lord of their own life instead of submitting to God's free offer of reconciliation through Christ's crucifixion, death, and resurrection. I was doing a talk last week, and I, and I told him, I said, you know, there are many things that I was wrong about growing up, and one of them, y'all ever play jump rope with each other, and you know, and usually had some little mantra that you, you, you sang or, or spoke while you were turning the rope? Well, one of them I used to hear was, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all good children go to heaven. No, they don't. In fact, in fact, some of the finest human beings that have ever lived on earth are in hell. And some of the worst people that you can imagine are in heaven. Why? Grace of God. Grace of God. The blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, sometimes having a high moral standard is an impediment to your recognizing your need for Christ and repenting. So no, all good children don't go to heaven, nor good people either. Does sovereign God allow some to persist in their own hard-heartedness? That's a question that needs to be asked. Doesn't God then, if it's limited atonement, doesn't he allow some to continue in their own hard-heartedness. I could give you several illustrations from Scripture, but God told Moses in Exodus 33, 19, write that down, Exodus 33, 19, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion 
on whom I will have compassion. File this away in your heart as you're, as you're maybe struggling with some of this. God does not have to save any. God would be righteous, holy, and perfect and pure if he never saved one soul. God does not have to save any. But by his grace, he saved many. In fact, Hebrew 9.28, Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many. Romans 9, and by the way, you want to you uh, delve into the sovereignty of God, read Romans 9. But Romans 9.16 says this, So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, exertion is acts, righteous acts, but on God who has mercy. It depends on God. It's God's work. It's God's move. It's God's pull. It's God's call. It's God's salvation. Even honest atheists will admit to some belief in God while rebelling against God's methods. That unbelief is sin, which can lead to eternal separation from God in hell. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved but Jesus the Christ. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, notice this, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. I stands for irresistible grace. Another one that people ponder on. God initializes saving faith in a human heart by both general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is creation itself. Stars, moons, suns, seas, mountains, flowers, children. God reveals himself in the density and immensity of his creation. So standing at the ocean or looking up in the night sky, we say someone made this. His name is Jehovah God. That's who made this. Psalm 19.1 said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Now, special revelation, you got it right there with you, the word of God. That's special revelation. God's holy word, the scriptures. In both cases, God the Holy Spirit activates conviction in our hearts, empowering us to see ourselves as sinners in need of a Savior. Eventually, all who God calls will come to him. Eventually, all who God calls will come to him. That's irresistible grace. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder, this is the uh, ESV version, uh, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I prefer the King James on that. The King James says, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. True salvation begins, that's the author, and ends, that's the finisher, with Jesus Christ. Converted early or late in life, all come through Christ, by grace, through faith, as a wonderful gift of God. Which is not to say that until conversion, we never resist God's call. I'm talking about the elect. I'm talking about those who God has chosen. That's not to say that, that we go through life waiting for the day God's going to uh, activate salvation in our lives. I, uh, I was married with children and, uh, and still was not saved. And uh, we went to church. 
but I found out that going to church doesn't save you anymore and going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Uh, but we were going to church. I was putting money in the offering. I was tithing. I thought if I tithe and I go to church, somewhere God is just clapping his hands. Christ Christ, so good. I'm going to bless you for that. That's so wonderful. Nope. Not without a relationship. But anyway, I woke Donna up one night. We were living in this hovel of sorts. But I woke her up one night and I said, I hear a, a rat or a squirrel, something, gnawing on a rafter in the attic. I just hear it so loud. And she said, well, I hadn't heard anything. I said, well, I'm hearing it. I, there's a rat. There's a rat in the, in the attic. Well, I went back to sleep. And a little bit later, she, she shook me up. She said, uh, I found the answer. I said, you did? She said, yeah, you're the rat. <laughs> I don't think she said that since, but, uh, and I'm pleased about that. But I said, what are you talking about? She said, you're grinding your teeth in your sleep. I was under such anxiety, I was grinding my teeth in my sleep. And I thought, me, good old boy, me, carefree, me? How is this possible that I would be under that much stress or anxiety? Oh, well, I certainly was. Anyway, God's conviction increased until one church night, I surrendered completely to Jesus Christ. And you know what I, you know what I told, told the Lord? And this is, this is almost verbatim. I won't give you the whole thing, but I said, Lord, I don't know why you would even want me. I know what I am, and you know what I am. But for whatever it's worth, I surrender all of me to all of you. That was 43 years ago, and Jesus gets sweeter every day. Every day. It's like the song says, sweeter as the days go by. He really is. He's never failed me. He's never failed me. Not once, not one time. I failed him more times than I could say, but... The Holy Spirit, who Francis Thompson described in his poem, The Hound of Heaven, will chase a soul as long as it takes. You can run from God as far as you can, as hard as you can, and when you stop to catch your breath, he will be standing there offering you a cup of water and a towel. That's the grace of God. That's the love of God. That he, think, about, think about that just, just briefly because we have to move on, but think about that. God loves me enough that by his Holy Spirit, he pursues me. And I can assure you this, God has never gotten a bargain. There's been times, I've talked to people and people said, well, you know, I have failed God so bad, I'm just going to quit being a Christian. I said, well, 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 let me ask you this. Do you not think he knew that when he saved you? I mean, do you think you have surprised God? Sometimes in our prayer life, we say, oh, I couldn't tell God that. Really? You don't think he knows? He knows. One of the purposes of prayer is for us to realize our need for Christ, our need for him. And we come in repentance because it helps us see we are not self-sufficient. He's sufficient in all things. Well, the last one, P, stands for perseverance of the saints. Again, I want to tell you what it does not mean. Perseverance does not mean that we, we, the elect, by our own power in the flesh, persevere to the end. Nobody has. No one ever has. Instead, God, by His grace, perseveres through us. Philippians 1, 6. This is such a wonderful verse. 
And I am sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Whoa, yes. Praise the Lord. Yes. I, I know. I know I'm in a Presbyterian church. <laughs> I, I will tell you that sometimes I dance when I get excited, but I only do it from the waist up, so, so I'm good. <laughs> God started your salvation. God will complete your salvation. He started your salvation in eternity past, and God will carry you through to eternity future. You can't lose you because you didn't save you. I've just heard too many people say, well, I've done it. I have, have you done it? Yeah, I've done it. Well, what might it be? Well, I have, I have done such a terrible thing that uh, I think God doesn't want anything to do with me anymore. Really? So you lost you. Well, let me ask you this. How did you become a Christian? Well, the Lord convicted me. I said, so he did that? Yeah. You reckon, uh, you reckon uh, that when he did that, that future sin was nowhere on the radar? Yeah, well, maybe. Not that bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's forgiven bigger sins than that. Uh, you can't, you cannot out-sin the grace of God. I want to say that again. You cannot out-sin the grace of God. Doesn't mean we go out and say, well, I'm just going to live any way I want to. You can't. You really can't. If you have a changed heart, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away and new things, all things have become new. You can't. You won't want to. I used to think that. I thought, eh, I'm going to come a Christian one day and that way I'll have fire insurance. I'll live any way I want to. No. Doesn't work that way. Either you have all of Christ and he has all of you or you have none of Christ and he has none of you. He is either your Savior and your Lord, or He's neither your Savior nor your Lord. That's the way it works. You can't, you can't tell them, well, I've been a Christian a long time, but, uh, well, do, do, you, uh, do you, how much do you pray? Do you, you pray? Well, I ain't got time to pray. Okay, do you, do you ever read the Bible? Well, I ain't got time for that. Uh, uh, do you go to church anywhere? Well, I go every now and then. Uh-huh. A uh, little questionable there. And I'm not, it's not up to me to determine someone's salvation. They don't walk around with an S on their head, okay? I can't see it if it's there. But I will say that sometimes you must, uh, you must say this, by your fruits, I know you. By your fruits, I know you. But knowing I can't lose me because I didn't save me removes all fear from verses. Now, I want you to listen to this with spiritual ears. Mark 13, 13. This is a scary verse if you don't know who you are in Christ. Jesus said, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But notice this. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Well, if I don't know, if I don't read that in context and I don't understand the election and the love of God, then I would say, Wow, so I can commit a sin that will mean I'm not persevering to the end and I won't be saved. No, not what it means. You will sin, yes. Write it down, you will sin. And you will sin big sometimes. But His grace is bigger. Now, listen to this to offset that, to reassure you. 1 Corinthians 1, 7 through 9. This is a good one, hold on to it. You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who, him, Christ, 
will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called, there it is, unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. One more time. Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoa, I may dance from the waist down. That is so good. That is so wonderful that, that he will keep me to the end. Uh, will, will you fall? Yes. Well, let me use the quick analogy of the, of the boat, knowing the ark, you know. Somebody said, well, I, I, don't know if I, uh, I don't know about this once saved, always saved. I said, no, no, always saved, always saved. But let me explain something. Do you reckon when Noah was on the boat with all those animals and everything, maybe he slipped and fell? Well, yeah, probably. Well, God didn't throw him off the ark, did he? No. When you slip and fall, God will not throw you out of his heaven. He loves you too much for that. Run to him. Run to him and tell him very detailed prayers Lord, I really messed up, blah, 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 because I've told you this before. He, he puts that sin as far from him as east is from west and remembers it no more. And when you come back the next time and say, well, I did it again, God says, I have no record of again. Well, no, no, that thing, I, I, that sin I've committed several times, have no record of it. Well, yeah, only God can perfectly forget. Now, the Westminster Catechism, some of you are familiar, chapter 10, and this is so wonderful because this summarizes it. All those whom God hath predestined unto life, and those only, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit, capital letters, Holy Spirit, out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely, being made willingly by his grace. I couldn't say it that well. That is so wonderful. That's so concise and so appropriate. When someone points to this or that person who used to be an active member of a church but no longer attends and now they live like the world and they ask, did they lose their salvation? The answer is no. They never had it. They never had it. They went out from us, but they weren't of us. But I would beg you to pray that they will surrender to God's call so that they, like we, may persevere as evidence of God's wonderful election in our lives. Pray for them. Pray for them hard and long. Pray for them. Keep them before the throne of God until you see them come to Christ or until you die. One of the two. If you die, you're no longer obligated. But until such time, pray for them and pray for them Pray for them. Let's see if I've got time. Real, real quick, real quick. Talk to a minister uh, who said, I'll tell you a story about prayer. Said there was a man in our, that, in our community, said he was a reprobate, and everybody knew it, and it, we'd prayed for him for a long time. And he said he had a heart attack. I went to see him, and he said, Preacher, I know if I'd have died, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in heaven. I'd go to hell. But I'm not ready to do anything about it. The preacher said, I just can't believe that. Not ready. Don't want don't to don't accept Christ. Had a massive heart attack, almost died, and, uh, and for several weeks this elderly widow in the community would come to his house, 
bring him breakfast. He would help him out of bed. He would sit at the table and eat while she changed the bed sheets and prepared his bed. And then she would prepare food for the rest of the day. That went on for several weeks. Well, anyway, they had special services not too long after that. And the first night, uh, they looked up and he walked in the back door. Well, everyone in the church knew that background and they were really a Twitter. And uh, the preacher uh, gave an evangelistic message and said, Anybody, anyone uh, would like to come to Christ, raise your hand. Well, he raised his hand. Well, the church just did everything but jump pews. And they were so excited. And so later at the back door when uh, he was standing there and, and, and some of them were greeting him and loving on him, that widow came up and he just hugged her and he said, I bet you never thought you'd see this day. And she said, oh, no, I knew I'd see it. He said, why is that? She said, I have prayed for your salvation every day for 25 years. And I told him, I said, i got to back up and go home and revise my prayer list. I've got some I took off. 25 years. One, more, one last point and then more, one more scripture. The point is this. People unfamiliar with election or predestination will ask this. What if I'm not one of the elect? Isn't that an important question? Don't you think somebody would want to know? All right, here's the answer. By asking that question, you indicate either you are already one of the elect or that you're under conviction and need to accept Christ. That's the two answers. Because the reprobate, the lost out here, they don't give God a thought. They don't get, they're, not, they're not concerned about whether they're saved or lost. They don't give God a thought. But if somebody says, you know, I, I just wonder if I'll go to heaven, it's like, good, God's working in your life. Salvation received or salvation pending. Search the scriptures and questions you might have. Bring to our Pastor Parker for further clarification. One final word from God's word. Now listen to this as we close. Jesus said in John 6, 37. Oh, this is so good. All, all, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Brothers and sisters, comfort one another with these words. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how incredibly wonderful of you to love us enough to save us and to send your only begotten Son to die for us, to give us eternal life through his shed blood. How wonderful for you to do that. It's overwhelming. We can't comprehend it. It is such a God thing. Thank you, Lord God, for your character, your nature, your will, your wonder. We thank you for your perfect plan of salvation. We thank you for the way you carry it out. We thank you that Jesus, author and finisher of our faith, we thank you that you call us to show our salvation by our good works and we don't earn our salvation by our good works. Thank you for that, Lord. Now I ask your blessings on the ears and the hearts of everyone who's sat here or even those by electronic means. Bless their understanding to this. May they search the scriptures daily to see if what was said is true. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now let's all stand and sing verses 1 and 3 of number 345, Blessed Assurance.
so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you.